0: Okay. Like I
1: put, I put paper into a tray that was not supposed to be put in. And there was a sign on the copier that said, do not put paper into cassette four, which I didn't see. I put it in cassette four and the copier broke. So I literally broke a copier this week. So do, I fixed it, but
2: do your staff members, like if that happens and it's like, well, I wonder who broke the broken cop or broke the copier. Oh, it's probably the person who hosts a podcast called the broken copier. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to The Broken Copier, a conversation about teaching. My name is Jim Maris. My name is Marcus Luther. So reminders about the show. This is an independent and listener-supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to folks working in the classroom. Most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream, and to just text your friends a link to an episode so they can tune in as well. Marcus, it was great to see you today. I, we've been a little hiatus, uh, but this is this is a good conversation I think we had about grading.
2: Yeah, and especially juxtaposed against... Our conversation previously which was through this lens of humility and the complexities of grading and how we don't really have any right answers so then of course today we leaned into here's what our answers are right now which mm-hmm. i don't think hot takes the right word as much as just being really open about how we feel right now about x y and z policy uh and i i, I enjoyed that and i think that we'll continue this conversation with different policies and then of course if you're listening to this, especially after you've heard us talk about late penalties, non-zero policies, extra credit, etc., chime in with your own responses too. Let us know how you feel and let us know if there's other ones you'd like us to dive into because, uh, as we talk about at the end of this episode, this stuff's messy. The mm-hmm. messiness is hard and kind of a problem, but it's also something that we find hope in because if we talk about messiness, is better than not talking about messiness in all things education. So. Uh, without further ado uh we're going to dive into the messiness with some topics on grading and uh hopefully you enjoy and let
1: us know what you think okay marcus it's good to see you man it's been a little while welcome back
2: it has been a, a good while uh like these months uh to start the year uh the actual calendar year are always a grind and they uh but spring break is uh, right on the horizon so uh, i'm looking forward to that
1: yeah um me too we've had we've had we've been very busy with our social calendar. We've had a wedding and as you know, just like we've had semester exams and and it's kind of like, you're sort of rebooting your classes. Um, So it's been busy, but it's been good. Uh, But I'm glad, I'm excited to talk about grading today. Um, Okay, I have a bell ringer, are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready for it. All right, so it is March 19th, right? Getting into late March would you, how do you think about changing or implementing new classroom systems at this time of the year? Is that something that you are really hesitant to do because it's so late and you don't want to like do something new? Or are you still in the place of like, nope, if something is not working, we got to change. How do you, How are you thinking about that?
2: So I think that, Big policy-wide systems, typically, because I roll out almost like a second semester syllabus with adjustments from first semester based on feedback and what I've been observing, I try not to do anything that's going to require like, okay, here's like, formally, we are changing this policy, et cetera, for the course, uh, middle of the semester, because of that, Uh, I think that's a little bit too late, but I do. I would say that, like, I am very much open to if there's something we're doing as like a process and like a norm that we've established. Definitely, still would pivot on that. But really, this time of year is when I start shifting to because I've started doing this in recent weeks. uh, Asking students if I was going to do this again next year, and you were the teacher, what would you do? Uh, even like unit alignment, we had a really incredible graphic novel unit recently with my 10th graders, uh, anal- analyzing, uh, they called us enemy and, uh, they're just doing their own projects and analyzing them and the structural choices that they did. I just yeah. been, like, blown away by it. And part of me is like, this could be a great way to start the year next year with mm-hmm. coming out freshman year, like bring them in. It was a great unit and they were split. Half of them said, keep it where it's at. They would not have got as much, uh, in terms of their analysis of the symbolism, and the structural elements if it would have been at the beginning of the year others are like no this would be the most inviting way into what english can be in breaking their norms of what it is in the start of the year so it was really interesting to hear their reasoning and then i took that to our uh, english 10 plc to kind of just talk about planning next year so the big picture i kind of at this point i'm asking more questions for next year but if mm-hmm. it was something across the board important i would make the shift when yeah I-
1: I think I think I'm the same way. I think like that's a that's one of the fundamental questions that you sort of have to balance as a teacher is well, you know, you're in control of, you're, you're the decision maker around culture and policies and things like that. And the more that those can say s- stable and predictable for students in the moment, I think is generally better. But yeah, I think if things are not working. Um, for me, it's like, for me right now, I would not change any, I would not change like major systems. Mm -hmm. Um, because I've also made, like, I've told students that this is how things are going to work. And so I don't want to like, go back on what I've said, but if there's like culture things or you know like classroom resets and and saying like hey these are the norms that we've talked about and a lot of us are not meeting them or or i don't know if there's that kind of feedback like mm-hmm. i'm happy to give that and and sort of do those resets but yeah i'm i'm similar to you i'm starting to think about next year and would not really want to change major policies around like how we turn things in or how deadlines work or or stuff like that because that's just it's just kind of too late Mm-hmm. um and it's more of like a no for next year and continually getting that feedback
2: yeah and i'll add two plugs i think because i really I re- love this question great bell ringer uh and i would say that individually this is the time of year where you adjust your classroom and differentiate it based on your individual student needs i think you have to start the year very much aligning to consistencies and being Clear with this is what the policy and norm is, and everyone's expected to uphold it before you really get to know your students well. But now that you know them well, it's a lot easier, and the trust and community is built to make adjustments to make the classroom work for individual students and mm-hmm. exceptions for individual students based on their needs. This is the time of year where that's so much easier to do uh, because the trust has been built community wide. Uh, secondarily, this is the time of year, especially I'd say like after spring break, like April, May. Uh, where it's the throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks time like it's kind of fun yeah, and yeah. that's not just planning for next year it definitely is like it's fun to try out new things that could be helpful next year it also is really nice for students to experience something that breaks the norms and this is like that balance right you want to be consistent and build a, a classroom community that they know what to expect when they walk in but sometimes you got to mix it up sometimes mm-hmm. you, you want them to walk in and be like oh we're doing something different today this feels mm-hmm. different and that's needed too. And it's such a balance. And of course, it's different for different kids. But uh, again, I love this question, because it makes me think about the intentionality that should be it shouldn't just happen. It should be intentional, whatever
1: choice you make. And I I think that is very uh, relatable. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been wondering about this, because I think earlier in my career, I would have been like, no, I have to go back and redesign this whole system and redo things because this isn't working. And sometimes you just have to make a judgment call, like, no, it's working the way that it should be and you're getting the data. And so respond to the data and talk to the, talk to the students and say, here's how we're meeting these expectations and here's how we're not. And this is what we need to do to get better. Um, but it's t- It can be hard. It can be challenging, but I think mm-hmm. one takeaway, that I would push right now for people is around consistency. Like it's pretty late in the year right now, and so think about next year and value consistency and 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 look at the data and respond to whatever you're getting. Yeah, and
2: I'll, and I'll be quite honest that now if there's like a skill data that we're is not meeting where we need to go, like and adjusting teaching practices and you know reteaching like that 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 should be part of the job but the stuff that i'm talking about is more based on student feedback and Mm -hmm. uh lots of you know surveys like asking for input from students and i think that if you're making changes those changes should be driven especially at this point of the year when you've had a chance to get to know your students and build that trust. hopefully based on what students are saying uh we're both high school teachers i think that matters even more at this level uh and again if you're not asking students and we've talked about this before Ad nauseum on this podcast. If you're not asking your students about how they feel about the choices you're making as a teacher, I would push back against that. Like the mm-hmm. that c- communication channel needs to exist, and it needs to exist in a way that's transparent to students. Not just in how you get their feedback, but sharing, "Hey, here's what you all said. Here's what I think about it. Do you want to talk more about it?" Like that should be part of the norm of the ideal classroom. I, I really believe that's not the norm in most classrooms.
1: And I would mm-hmm. love to
2: move to a place where it was.
1: Yeah, I agree. Okay, you ready to so, talk yeah. grading? Let's let yeah. Let's talk grading. There's there's a lot going on on Twitter. There's a lot of books being coming out. Let's that I haven't read yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I I'm happy to talk about grading. It's okay. it's a uh, it's a lot.
2: So we we talked a lot last episode about from a really taking a step back this, I really am proud of this, a lens of humility of just mm-hmm. saying like, there is no perfect solution. There's valid criticisms to every single policy being pushed out. There's good intentions across the board for the most part. And this stuff's complicated. And, uh, we kind of leaned into the complications last time, this time I want to get more into just the, Hey, here are some specific things that are being mentioned, choices that are being made by teachers in different classrooms, schools districts how do you we feel about them as like just starting our second decade of teaching uh and really just putting jim on the spot because i've got a list and we're going to go back to my uh tried and true classroom discussion starter of thumbs up thumbs sideways thumbs down and and jim's Mm going to do that in audio fashion considering this is a podcast but i mean he's welcome to get the wrist flexibility yeah i
1: need to get my workout in yeah Yeah.
2: that's fine as well but Uh, i'm just going to roll through these this list and i'll present an idea or a topic let him roll with it i'll kind of respond and then we'll move on but the reason i like this format is i think if you're in education and you're listening you can kind of play along too in your head in the same way that i do with other podcasts i listen to like how do you feel about these and then what's Mm -hmm. the same thing i would ask my students what is your reasoning and purpose behind that what values does that operate from like what values do you hold that leads you to believe in that and what would someone who disagrees with you not just what are their reasons but what values is that disagreement stemming from that's a constant framing i use in the classroom and i Mm -hmm. think it works for this situation too
1: so i agree let's do it
2: okay let's roll so here we go number one jim thumbs up thumbs sideways thumbs down how do you feel about the traditional grading scheme of 90% is an A, 80% is a B, 70% is a C, 60% is a D, and below than that is an F or a failing grade. How do you feel
1: about that grading scheme? So I'm gonna say thumbs up for this. Um, largely I feel like I feel like it's largely out of tradition, which, which I don't really love that. That's why it's a thumbs up, but I'm also, I'm also more approaching this from a lens of like, if those are the grade bands you want to have, I think that's fine. Like that's, that's what a lot of people are used to. Um, that's what a lot of parents are used to. That's what, you know, you want that's what a lot of colleges are used to when they're looking at grading transcripts. Like that general framework for me is fine. I don't have much of a problem with it. The question is to the, the where it gets complicated is how, how do you, what are the expectations and the thresholds that you have to get to that particular band? Like, I think some of this grading conversation is lost in the weeds around No, these are what this is, what the numbers need to look like. And for me, it, I don't really care so much about what the numbers look like. It's like, okay, whatever the numbers are, what are your expectations for high, mid and low performance and how, like, what are you accepting to get to those, to get to each number and to get to each threshold? If I want to grade exit tickets, if I want to grade exit tickets out of 10 points, you know, my, one of my systems is um, it's 10, 8.5, seven, or five, like 50% for incomplete. And you know, like, if we want to, it, it's not about the number, it's about what am I accepting? And what do the students know, gets to each threshold. So that's why I say thumbs up because I'm, I guess I'm just fine. I'm fine with that traditional framework. The problems for me come with whether or not you accept work, you know, and we can talk about late work and if students literally do nothing, then are you going to give them a 50? Like that's, that's to me, that's the more important conversation.
2: Okay. I appreciate that. And, uh, I'm not going to fully agree. I'm going to be thumb sideways on this. And I'm gonna try yeah. to avoid those answers. Cause I know at some point we have to make choices. Uh, the point you made about, uh, families, not like they are used to this, uh, resonates with me a lot. And I think that when you change this artifice and full disclosure, like our school, like I don't have, ours is a slightly modified where 87.5 is an a, so it's a little bit off of that. Uh, and I, I think, and I love that personally. So, uh, i'm a big fan of it but i think when you start dramatically changing this structure of what the actual end result looks like an a is this a b is this a c is this and you have different schools in different places doing different things and that's what's happening right now like -hmm. like, transfers and like students like everyone's doing their own thing and it's getting kind of messy uh i think a lot of those conversations are happening without full inclusion of students and families, especially. And then grades get confusing because that's such a, an important way of saying, here's how your student is doing in school. And I think you're right that there's policy changes that happen within the grading framework. And then there's like redoing the actual grading framework itself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like renovating a house on the interior versus like going down to the foundations and like making changes. And I think that I am theoretically, a a fan of changing the, I don't, if we were starting from scratch, I would not use the traditional grading system. I I think Mm -hmm. there are better ways and I'm convinced by the arguments for other ways. And we'll talk about some of them today. I think changing that on the spot, haphazardly from district to district, school to school, sometimes even classroom to classroom within a school is really messy. And we don't talk enough about how that messiness has consequences too. And I think that's something that those who are advocating for great policy changes, again, with great intentions, and I'm convinced by many of their arguments, I don't think there's a good argument against the messiness that's created by all these changes not happening in unison. So I think this is a good one to start with, because if you can't make the case that what we're doing is better than being consistent with such an important part of this system and education overall, then I think that needs to be where the starting point is. So that's where I want to start, but it's time yeah. for round two. So, okay. so round two, you mentioned it. Uh, so Jim, thumbs up, sideways or down, late penalties on
1: grade. Yeah, this is a, t- I'm a thumbs up, to be honest. I feel like I've switched. Um, and this is because, this is because I of how I've seen this play out in my school. So the first caveat is the first caveat is I think every school is very very different, and so like the way kids orient to to their grades and how they're trying to get through school is so different for each person and for each teacher. In my school. And I've, this is a conversation that I continually have with students. It's like, we have, we have a, we have this system where I'm at right now. And a lot of these grading conversations is about like, whether or not students are going to view it as like a transactional, if if this is going to be a very transactional step to get X amount of points, rather than am I putting in effort and being curious and trying to learn about what we're doing (laughs) and i have way too many students in the first bucket and and i want a lot more students in the second bucket and i'm trying to have grading systems that incentivize that but without without some type of accountability for late like students just don't we will have students in my class and in other classes at my school, who don't, it's not that they're stuck. It's not that they're stuck on the work. It's not that they're confused. The reason that they're not doing work is not actually that they're stuck or confused. They don't want to do it. And they don't think they don't think that it's a problem for them to not do it. am It's just like, I'm just not going to do this thing. And so my I don't want late penalties to be like hyper punitive, but, and if you want to like turn things in and revise, like I do think there are systems for that, but yeah, there are some, there are some essays and some big deadlines that I'll tell kids. There are not extensions available for this. This essay is communicated. This deadline is communicated three weeks out. And therefore like it's going to be a big deal. And if you do, if you can't hit, if you don't hit the deadline, yes, there are, there are going to be late penalties because there's so much support available to you. You have to make an effort. Um, and like, this is, this is what it's going to be. So I feel like I'm a thumbs up on late penalties and like in general, um, because of the way that I've seen, and this is a reversal for me. I, like, I feel like I've started the year with like, no, just accept the work mastery based. I get, I get all that, but I've also just kind of seen the way in which, especially students who are struggling, who need more support. And the reality is there's a level of accountability that I think sort of needs to push students across the finish line and late penalties can be like late penalties can be a part of that. And I also think, and I, I feel like this point doesn't really get made, enough in some of the grading conversations but like the flip side to this coin is there are a the, the majority of students who work really hard to meet that deadline and like you know I think it can feel unfair if you're operating in a system like that a student's going to be like you know what the heck like I have been pushing myself I did hit the deadline and you know my friend over here has just been, pushing this off and not doing it and not taking it seriously and they're going to get the same grade as me. Like, I don't know that there are ways to me that that doesn't feel very fair or equitable. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a thumbs up on, on late penalties. Um, again, I would add the caveat that like, it, it does have to do the, it does have to do with how you get there. Because I, I'm not going to have, I am, I'm still very lenient with extensions on day-to-day homeworks and things that like, are like, my policy is if you, at all you have to do to get an extension, it on like practice assignments and and day-to-day stuff and homework that's due is literally just tell me in advance. I I don't need a reason. You don't need it. You don't need to come up with an excuse. You just say, hey, I'm not going to get this commonplace thing done and I'm going to turn it in here. Like, I'm fine with that. I have no problems with students asking for an extension, and communicating that. But if students are truly just not not communicating and not att- and genuinely just I'm not going to do this thing, then yes, at some point, I think there needs to be a late penalty type of thing that comes into play.
2: Okay, well, I'm gonna disagree in a very respectful way. Uh, yeah. And I'm in the thumbs down with an acknowledgement of pragmatism that kind of leans it towards sideways, but I'll stay in the down camp. Uh, Just theoretically, and you mentioned this, that if I have an assessment or a grade in the gradebook that says, I am assessing your skill on this standard, the idea of adjusting that score based on the timeliness uh, runs against like the philosophical, like what that grade should represent like that grade to mm-hmm. represent the met level of mastery learning not the win. And I think a lot of times people say like, oh you know schools need to teach so and so to be accountable on time like great then make that the standard mm-hmm. that we're expected to teach because there's nowhere in the standards that I'm expected to teach is that something that should translate into their grade. So that, that that's like a, a state based like a, a you know a policy the standards that I'm expected to teach as an English teacher they're along, along the English learning spectrum. So you mm-hmm. use grades to enforce other things can go down a really dark direction uh, in terms of weaponization, transactionalism. uh, And I'm saying all this as someone who does have slight late penalties uh, in some of my classes for big assignments uh, from a very pragmatic standpoint of like, I need to get these essays in to get the feedback and the activities uh, on them. Uh, So I'm acknowledging that I think you have really valid points and I think you're right. My two other points that I'd make, one, something that I've found value with this is that I am really open with students that when it's turned in late, you're not going to get your feedback in time. So like, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the feedback you need to be successful on the higher stakes stuff if we're talking about practice assignments. And also like my ability to give feedback, if I have to go three weeks in the past to go back to thinking about what I was giving feedback on, it's not right. going to be the same quality. And that's a real life consequence that's not related to grades but it's me being open with them about this is what happens. And reputationally, uh, you know, we're talking about juniors and seniors a lot of time. Like if you are consistently late on things and then you walk into my room the next year and ask for a letter of recommendation, I I mean, there's a lot of times like where there's still a lot of things to celebrate. I'm gonna work my best to write that letter. But this is a real life thing, especially as they get towards the end of high school that you, like if I'm an employee, and I'm consistently late on assignments like that affects my reputation. And I think having those conversations in a more authentic way can make the accountability happen without the grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second thing I'll say is that I'm a huge, I don't know what to use the word. I just cannot stand when people have overly punitive late penalties, mm-hmm. like they should be fixed and they should be as small as humanly possible, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I honestly, I think that does the trick. Uh, they should not be increasing because what I love, because I have some courses that have zero late penalties, is that it just takes any excuse off the table. You haven't turned it in? Mm-hmm. Great, let's come talk about it. Like, great, let's come talk about it. And it's just such, uh, I have see students stressing about these late penalties in really unhealthy ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really, the uh, third thing I'd say to add on is that th- these, this needs to be a school-wide consistency thing. And that's oh, for the sure. biggest issue yeah. is when i'm a student and in this class i have incredibly severe late penalties in this class i have no late penalties in this class right. I have some. It, it makes a really clear order of operations right like yep. Uh, yep. and i think that's where i really struggle and it should be hundred percent aligned as a school and i yep. really believe that because it's not fair to the teachers it's not fair to the students it's not fair to the families uh there needs to be consistency at a school-wide level of what the policy is with late penalties I would argue that they should not be escalating at minimum. I think that'd be a real yeah. healthy step forward is that late penalties do not escalate. And I think they should be smaller than most cases. But I, I hear everything you said, and I'm pretty humble on this. I think I was used to be pretty lockstep with you. And now I, I see more of the nuance, even though I feel pretty strongly against them.
1: Yeah. can Can you clarify what do you mean by escalating? Because we have a school policy that's 10 points per day. Like that, that's what a, I that's so what you mean. I, yeah,
2: I think it should be a fix. Okay, you've turned it in late. Here's this minor deduction. Period. I yeah. don't like the idea of escalating because it l- lowers the incentive. The longer
1: it takes to turn it in. Yeah, that's how our policy. That's how we're supposed to do our late penalties. In practice, I'll just tell kids. I, in practice, I have a 10, It's ten points off or ten percent mm-hmm. off. And if you've turned it in four days late, then, you know, that is what it is. And one quick thing that I would add here is like, students are, I I have never really seen students, it's very rare that a student is going to get, and this is perhaps, you know, personal to just me or my school, but like. The late penalty does not uh, almost does not matter, like in most cases, because the student is going to turn in an essay that on the rubric most of the time is has scored around a 60 percent. Like if you're if you're if you're turning in an essay late, like it's not strong, it's not the type of quality that's going to be an A essay. So the calculation for the student is not, oh, do I take one extra day and get a 90 versus a 100? that type of approach to the grading is, I feel like not where students are at. And a lot of times I just don't even apply the late penalty because the grade is sort of low enough. (laughs) Um, But I, I do think that like the framework and the consistency from classroom to classroom matters a lot. And yeah, you. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this question too. It's, it's a tough one.
2: Yeah. And I think if you've built a good system of extensions, uh, and I, I I believe in those a lot too, then that, that looks different. It feels different when you're really open with students about your willingness to accept extensions, et cetera, especially early in the year. Uh, Mm -hmm. because then later in the year, you've got better norms with students and, you know, the students who's asked for an extension on every assignment, then that's a different conversation. Uh, but, all of these in practice can look different based on how you build your classroom community around them. And I think also this is worth acknowledging all these individual things that we're talking about today, they don't live in vacuums. Like they, they, they very much affect each other. So totally. what your grading scheme is versus your late penalty versus other things we're going to talk about, they interplay. And I think they all come back to classroom community and culture too, in terms of your ability to meet students where they're at. One last thing I'll add that I just love about not having to worry about late penalties as a teacher. I've got almost mm-hmm. hundred students. I've got an AB, you know, Mondays we see all students. Then we go to block schedule the rest of the week. Uh, so yeah. different lengths based on different things. We have tons of absences. Uh, yeah, it is. Some absences are excused. Some are unexcused. Some are in yeah. the area. Right. Playing the game of should like, what day is this turned in for this student who's been absent? Just yeah. taking that off the table and just saying, Hey, turn it in. When you've got it, here's the deadline. I'm expect. I'm going to put the zero in until you turn it in yeah. uh, or put the missing mark in until you turn it in, but I will take it 100% in late penalty. That has been such a sigh of relief for me to just mm-hmm. focus on what's best for students and supporting them with the feedback they need. And anytime, like the idea of late penalties is a consistent norm uh, with that many students and that many reasons for, like, it just means I'm taking energy That would go away. You go into planning the best lesson, giving the best feedback, being the best teacher for students, and I'd be like just like looking at a spreadsheet and trying to like figure out like like the attendance calendar. It's a waste of energy, and there's just like a pragmatic on the side of no late penalties as a teacher. It makes life better in some way, yeah, for sure. Okay, we we're 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 dragging our feet a little bit. We got to keep going. (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. No, that's okay. And these are good. I'm trying to hit the big ticket ones early. Okay, round three. Jim, thumbs up, thumbs sideways or thumbs down. Extra credit.
1: go. Uh, I'm thumbs down on extra credit. and I say this as someone who actually I actually do have an extra credit system that's very small and I don't like it. Um, but there's a there's a culture of extra credit in the school that students like are sort of used to and again like i'm making these decisions within the context of like how are students operating in all their other classes um and so for me i have an extra credit the the way extra credit works in my classroom is we have i've talked about this before it's it's called commonplace where it's like a routine connection journal where students are responding and if students read those out loud in the class then i'll give them i'll give them a little extra credit like just as like an acknowledgement of like you did that and it was it was a, a brave thing to do and you're stepping up and this is somewhat optional i'm going to give you some points but i don't really like doing that and i don't think in general that extra credit is it it can be, it can be so subjective. And it also turns into this whole transactional thing of like, I'm only doing stuff to get some points. And I would much rather have the norm be like, just read these for the sake of reading them without the points. But yeah, I, that's kind of where I'm at. So respectfully, since you named this,
2: you, you said extra credit is subjective and highly transactional, yet you have a practice that you do that. And I acknowledge yeah. that with late penalties, like I have them even though I don't like, so I'm a, I'm a hypocrite too. Uh, yeah. Why do you have that? thing? I think this is a real life thing for teachers. Yeah. To we have beliefs we hold, and then sometimes our practices don't align with those beliefs. Even things that you have complete control, right? You don't have to have that, but you right. choose to break yeah. your own value system with extra yeah.
1: credit here the reason that I have it is because extra like there's I it's, it's like, I I feel like the, the, the main reasons that I have like told myself and the main rationale that I have for the students. One is, like I said, there's so many other classrooms at our school that are giving extra credit. And it's like, it's just like a thing that exists. And so I, in some ways, I worry that like, if I'm not participating in that, then that's not going to track with like how they're experiencing their other classes. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest that's kind of the biggest reason for it. And the other thing is, we like students are nervous to share out loud. And I wish that weren't the case. But like, they are nervous. And I and I think there's you know, we don't have to get down to a whole remote learning COVID rabbit hole, but like it's way different. It's way different than post, than pre remote instruction. Like I had students raising their hands all the time, speaking up in class was totally fine. And students will tell me privately, like, I think that like the reason I don't want to participate in class or raise my hand is because I'm afraid to be wrong. And there, there's no matter how much I say that, that's, it's okay to be wrong. It's just like, the point is about sharing your thinking and raising your hand, they have not done it. And then when I was like, okay, I'm going to give these 10 points for people who do it, they'll do it. And like, if you want to just do it for the points. Okay. Like, that's fine. It doesn't feel good, but it does get the outcome. That I'm looking for which is students taking a risk and yeah I don't know it's it's not it's not a good it's not good it's it's quite a transaction it is it's it no it's super it's super transactional and that's and I don't like that and I think you know it's yeah I'm I'm thumbs down on extra credit (laughs) to be clear like I don't think it's a good practice but I you know and I, I would, in slight defense of this, like, this is a very, my extra credit is like very negligible. Like it, mm-hmm. it does, it's not a huge driver of your grade. Yeah. And that's not the case in other classes. Uh, like I've like students just, some students just literally expect, they'll be like, I don't need to do much and I'm going to coast as much as possible. And then I'll just save my grade at the end of the quarter with some extra credit. And like that happens And so that's to me that's where it's really toxic and and not a good practice yeah and
2: uh in full disclosure like i said with late penalties and i'm against them i do have them in small instances in some classes so i i'm not jim's not the only one here who at times practices don't align with your pedagogical beliefs uh and i think you're right that school culture is something you have to adjust to uh I am double thumbs down. I think extra credit is like the easiest one for me uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of not just from a theoretical, but just seeing it play out. It's one of the most inequitable things we have in school because who gets the extra credit? And then then the other thing is it's so often not aligned to skills. Like some of the worst things I've heard in schools happening are around Mm -hmm. like, oh, this student like they had an 88%, but they, you know, their parents, you know, went out and bought, you know, some of these treats for the whole class as like, or they mm-hmm. bought like these su- classroom supplies and brought them in. So that they, they bumped it up to a 90%. Like they, no. just like, yeah, that's such that's a, very bad. It's such a bad thing. It happens so often where it's not aligned to the skills you're supposed to teach. Uh, and then this also relates to the no late penalty. Like for me, it's easy. <laughs> it's like kid comes in, Hey, I'm missing this, you know, these things, what extra credit can I do? I'm like, you go back and do the stuff you're supposed to do, I'll help you do it. But you're not going to like find some like back door around the skills that you're supposed to learn in this classroom. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, it, it's just such a, I don't know. I, there's a lot of complexity for me in these conversations. and I'm willing to acknowledge it. I have zero room for complexity around extra credit. I think it should be eliminated across the board. It, it, it is like, we, you're acknowledging like it, we know this is bad. There isn't a good argument for it. Like I've never no. heard a good argument for extra credit, uh, and this is year, eleven of teaching, it's just ridiculous. I, I, just, mm-hmm. and I, I think you're right that you have to adjust to the norms of your class, your school culture. Like that's for all of these, and we'll talk about that on a later question, maybe. But I am just so fed up with extra credit as just like the worst, it brings out the worst in us uh, as educators, mm-hmm. as students, and I'm just ready for it to be gone. So that's like, yeah, we want to have a real take on because I'm in the, in the weeds with the rest. So I just need yeah. to make sure I get it out of my system. Okay. Sorry. Rant. Good rant, Marcus. I'm, you know, I'm with you. Okay. No extra credit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Go <laughs> give out your extra credit to your kids with the transactions mm-hmm. this week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Next one. This is to be the one that I think is going to be hard. Okay. Yeah. I, I think down, I know what it is. Sideways and down. No zeros policy. And just to clarify for those listening, this yeah. means that, in probably in alignment with the traditional grading system, the idea that if you look at where grades can fall on a zero to 100 spectrum, you have these 10 percentage point windows for A, 10 percentage point window, 80 to 89.5 of a B, mm-hmm. C, D, and then you have a 60% uh, landing area for an F. Mm -hmm. And some response to this is like saying that if you have students who are consistently getting zeros and consistently falling behind, it gets to the point where like they can't catch up and it gets Mm -hmm. to this insurmountable point. Uh, like the argument being that one way, especially if you're going to keep the traditional framework of helping students have a more equitable grading system would be to make sure that they don't have, aren't weighed down by all these zeros. So yep. just having a required policy, and this is a policy in many districts across the country that you cannot put zeros in the gradebook, that there's a minimum score that zeros are not there, whether it's mm-hmm. 50% or 25% or whatever, there is a minimum score. Thumbs up, sideways
1: down on that policy. Th- I'm thumbs down on, on no zeros. And and I know that that might be kind of a, a controversial take in this day, day and age, but here's here's what we've we've tried we've done this we've done the minimum grading Uh, right now we have a policy where it's 50% minimum grades and again not a lot of students but many a handful of students who are struggling a lot they don't really relate that positively to school they the student calculus is is in many times going to be what is what's the minimum amount of work that i can do for the grade that i want and if the grade if the grade that the student wants is a d to pass the class then you, like we have students who literally have not written an essay all year in grades 9 through 12 because they know that it, they don't have to make an attempt And they're going to like the, like it's, they don't have to make an attempt and they can get like some points back on a test or homework. Like they can find a way to get themselves to a 60% and with like a couple things and that's what they're going to do. And I, and I just, I, I feel like it has incentivized and the way that it's played out in our school for having the 50% threshold is it tells kids, no, you don't actually have to make an attempt here. And whereas if I, if we put in zeros for this work, they're like, oh man, like this, this is a big deal that I didn't even make an attempt. And so for me, I think that a zero is okay, mathematically and ethically for literally nothing. I do think that if a, I do think that if there's like some type of attempt, then the minimum work, uh, the minimum work or the minimum grade policy rather of 50% can apply. Like I'd, I, I would never give a student a zero if they have turned in like some type of attempt for work. And I'm totally fine with a minimum, uh, 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 an attempt being floored at 50, but we can't have a system that that actually mathematically allows students to not write complete essays for the whole year and have them pass like i just i ethically to me i and the way that the math works out in our system right now that that is what is happening and students know that and so yeah no attempt is to me that I'm totally fine with that being a zero. So that's, that's where I'm at.
2: I feel like you were waiting for this pitch. Like you were like sitting there with the bat and it was like a three, Uh one count. You're like, I'm ready. This fastball is coming right down the middle. And I think this Mm -hmm. is what I've been waiting this entire conversation to go off.
1: I've been waiting weeks to get and We can do a whole, I feel like this is just one quick take. Like to me, this is multiple episodes worth of conversation. So I, I acknowledge that. And I, and I also acknowledge that I might not be right about this, but I have seen and have been frustrated. Like, I'm, it's not really a sense of frustration. It's a sense of worry. Like I'm really worried about the habits of like procrastination and also just like a permission structure of saying like, nope, I don't have to actually be a part of this. And I don't have to even. I don't even have to pretend to try to care, and like that. I think is really worrisome to me because if students graduate with that mindset and that practice as the norm, that is not how the how. And and again, like we can, it's complicated when you get to like, well, this is how things are going to be in college. But it's just like the world is not going to be kind if you are if you think that it's going to be okay to not even try, yeah, and I, and I just am really worried that that has been happening and is happening. So that's sort of where I'm coming into it from.
2: Yeah. And I think, because this will be our last topic for today. I think we'll keep rolling with this. I have more things to get to potentially Mm -hmm. a a part two down the road of this conversation. Uh, I'm sideways on this, so I'm not Mm -hmm. fully in your camp. I think your concerns are incredibly important. And I think that right now there also is a tendency to like shut down the concerns and say like, this is the right policy for kids based on these reasons. Mm -hmm. And if you're wrong, you don't support kids and you're a bad teacher. Uh,
0: I'm
2: not there. Uh, I think that we need, I don't think that's ever healthy as a discussion as the person who just ranted about extra credit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, so I guess here are some of my questions on it. Uh, I question if I think the 50%, even within the traditional grading scale, is too much. I think that it creates what you said is a situation where it takes too little to cross the barrier to passing. And that's anecdotally Mm -hmm. from what I've seen. And it's not what we have as a policy, but what I like talking to people and just like thinking about it mathematically, it just invites the situation where you can do so little and not be a part of the learning experience. And right. I think also like people expect if you have gotten a passing grade and you've gotten a diploma, it means you've learned these things. It divorces that concept. It, mm-hmm. it, it really, you can not master any skills and get a passing score. And I don't think, I think that almost like creates this like false flag of what we're doing with education. Uh, and I think you're right to have concerns. I have concerns about, the bigger equitable grading scheme of like zeros and what they can mean. Uh, mm-hmm. One follow up because with when you guys enter your grades, so let's say you have a, an essay due on Friday and you have a no, do you have a no zeros policy at your school? Yep. Okay. So half your students, or let's ten percent of your students, don't turn in that essay. What do you plug in the grade book at that moment? Fifty percent flag it as okay. missing. Okay. Yeah. So for me one thing that because we do have minimum s- scores at, at, so we have a six week deadline so at the end of our every six week term all of those zeros and missing scores go to like a minimum score of uh twenty five percent uh for us a separate mm-hmm. assessments like the big ticket items those stay as zeros but like all like like practice assessments etc other things uh but they stay as zeros up until that point so like mm-hmm. you're like it the motivation for that kid who's checking their grade every week, et cetera, is there, and then once mm-hmm. it's no longer accepted where they cannot revise after every six weeks to avoid like the semester pile up, then mm-hmm. it switches to the minimum score, but it's pretty low it's so it's it's not zero, but it's not fifty percent so yeah. that's how we handle it. I feel like that keeps the momentum but also avoids that like oh, I can do nothing and still pass." Balance, mm-hmm. but again, that's completely subjective to Not like we're normed on it, like like mm-hmm. all like our PLs, etc. We've had a lot of conversations on it, but I I am more complicated on this because I think that I can hear arguments from different people in different places. Yeah. My other concern, that probably you relate to, is I think with a lot of these practices, there are incredibly good intentions behind them, and I think this is one of those. Like it's saying like. This is a system, the traditional grading system that I have problems with uh, that isn't good for student learning that like, and one way to push back against it is to find a better way to allocate grades and in a way that's supportive of students, that keeps them in our classrooms and keeps them working the direction they need to go. Uh, I also think that sometimes there are other incentives at play. I think that if I think back to like previous schools in different places, like graduation rates are Mm -hmm. things people talk about right and if you're a you know if you have an opportunity to implement a policy that's going to just boost student grades and get more students passing and more students across the graduation stage just by switching a policy instead of doing the harder work of building support systems and building in better ways to meet students where they're at and help them get what they need to get the learning they need and that's the school i'm at right now i'm incredibly proud to work at and i think they the substantive work is happening. And like, that's how you improve student learning and student outcomes and graduation. Mm-hmm. rates. You don't just flip a policy and say, oh, now it looks like more students are passing. I am concerned that in other places, the non-zero policy is used as almost like a cheat code to get more kids passing instead of getting them the support mm-hmm. they need and the learning they need to be better off. That's mm-hmm. my broader concern. Uh, I'm glad that's not where I am currently. Uh, I, I feel really, I am grateful to be in the school culture I'm at that I feel like is doing the substantive work. Uh, yeah. And it's not criticism of your school. I'm just like saying like, I, at yeah. larger level of this conversation, the non-zero policy feels like a temptation of like, oh, grades will go up if we just change
1: the school policy. And I don't mm-hmm. like that. I, I really- I don't, don't like it up. either. And I And I- And I am, am, am am very genuinely worried about the messages that it will tell students of, of what you can do to still graduate from high school, quite frankly, like I, I'm, it's, it's really concerning to me.
2: Yeah. And so we got other topics, I think that are worth talking about. Uh, but I, for now we should just pin this because I think this is a good, like, Okay, this mm-hmm. is a big thing. We probably don't have enough time to keep going on it, so let's potentially continue it. Uh, I don't know. I I, I don't want to wrap up with so much negativity, etc. Uh, well, I have got,
1: I got a thought. I, go. I I have a little, perhaps a more optimistic thought. We could close on. To me, the I feel like what I see, especially on t- teacher Twitter, about the grading policies and people having real, you know. Coming back to the first question about the traditional grading skills, to me, it's really not about the numbers. The numbers are going to communicate values in certain ways. The, the values that I want my grading system to communicate, the two main words that stick out to me right now are effort and growth. Those are the two most important things that I think I would pick of any any classroom effort and growth. And that is what I want my grading system at the end of the day to reflect it, of course, it's going to reflect skill and mastery and what you know, but like, mastery of these skills, takes effort and takes and and takes growth takes growth. So that's kind of where I'm leaving this conversation with, because the numbers are not as important to me as those two things. Yeah, and my
2: positive reflection is that i think a lot of these things were happening invisibly mm-hmm. and now they're happening visibly like we're talking about policies we're, we're being like teachers are talking about what grades should mean students mm-hmm. are pushing back more often about what grades they deserve and what policies are right or wrong that's messy that's also mm-hmm. good and it, yeah. i don't think The nostalgic oh back in the day everyone just used this you know did what they did and teachers had all the power and students kept their mouth shut like that's horrible and i know this is a hard place because i think getting everyone on the same page is also important and it's really hard if people have different beliefs and values in education and this is messy stuff um Mm -hmm. jim and i have lots of reasons that you would expect we would be lockstep based on our very similar paths in certain ways we disagree on some of these things and Mm -hmm. the messiness is hard. The messiness is also a little bit hopeful for me, especially if I step out of my pragmatic lens, like I like that we're having these conversations, and we're gonna keep having them yeah. on here. Uh, I mean, the copier has to be broken before it's fixed. It, right? Yeah, it's broken right now. I'm telling you, it's very, very broken, like ink cartridges, yeah. like, all, <laughs> all over the place, like, you know, all sorts of messaging yeah. issues, Wi Fi's down. Okay, so I actually a-
1: broke, I actually broke a copier, like la- this past week. Okay. Like I put, I put paper into a tray that was not supposed to be put in. And there was a sign on the copier that said, do not put paper into cassette four, which I didn't see. I put it in cassette four and the copier broke. So I literally broke a copier this week. So do, I fixed it, but
2: do your staff members, like if that happens and it's like, well, I wonder who broke the broken cop or broke the copier. Oh, it's probably the person who hosts a podcast called the broken copier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, I don't. I don't use a ton of copies, so so I don't think I would be the first suspect. But yeah, someone. My friend saw me, and she was like, "Oh, come on, Maris. Like it says it right on the thing." Yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, I know. I I messed up. I messed up." Okay. <laughs> well, we'll end with that then. Okay. We'll take care then.
0: You too, Marcus. I'll see you. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written, hosted, and produced by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at DJSynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher based in Australia, Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, on Instagram at banduncivilized, and online at uncivilizedtom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with Tom, just like I do. Thanks to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. You can leave us an audio message at podinbox.com brokencopier. We might be able to respond and feature it in the next episode. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas To the broken copier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.